Dear Abby Normals. Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things, a podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Millie. And we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Welcome. We Did we already say welcome? Do we say welcome twice in our intro? You started with the I say dear. Dear Abby Normals. And then what do you say? Welcome to oh, Deeply so you Disturbing. Did say welcome. So I will not say welcome again. Oh, now that you said that, you remember when we went initially when you started the podcast, we said so all the time. We did so, 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 so welcome, welcome. So you're so welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> all right, I get to go first this week uh, because I Super. didn't do anything last week. It's fine. I'm going to talk about Harry Houdini. Oh, I love Harry I Houdini. Know. Oh. So what do you know of Harry Houdini, just on surface? Um, that he tried to discount the, um, what are they called? Not the spiritualists. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where okay. they would talk mm-hmm. to the dead. Right, right. tried to um, discount that. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Well, and also, he was, you know, an illusionist. Illusionist, <laughs> illusionist. So, yeah, I started um, learning about Harry Harry Handcuff Houdini. Is that um, his nickname? Uh, that was when he, like, first came to the United States. It's Harry Handcuff I can't find my topic. I'm not on my do, phone. Do you I'm need just a trying moment? to find my topic, so I'm ready. And sorry for the glitching. This is not an intentional um, when you're watching us. That's not intentional. Well, le- the glitching and the video is now exclusive content for our patrons on Patreon. We're just that much cooler. It's a filter. <laughs> it's very um, Max Headroom, if you know that reference. Which I don't. So, uh, first of all, Harry Houdini, that's not his actual name. I didn't know that. It's uh, he. That's yeah, a- actually a Harry no, his re- it was a reference to um so he's born Eric Weiss, W-E-I-S-Z. Um it was kind of a, a nod to a reference to, to one of his spiritual masters, French magician Robert Houdin. So not his real name. It's okay. It's fine. I like Harry Handcuff Houdin Houdini. That's how he kind of came out in uh, Europe on his on a tour that way. Um, so he challenged police, uh, forced to keep him locked up. He extended um, these different repertoires to things like including chains, ropes for up from skyscrapers, straight jackets underwater. Um, and we'll go into some of his specific uh, illusionists and things in a bit. One of the things that I just, Thought was really interesting is he I, I mean he there's just straight up where he lied and made things work and some things that were just complete flukes that happened to work too um whereas he's pretty lucky in a lot of respects uh so it was it was very interesting there are still some that we don't know why or how things worked he did publish something later on that shared some secrets but not all secrets mm. A reveal. A reveal. In 1904, thousands watched as he tried to escape from special handcuffs commissioned by the London's Daily Mirror, keeping them in suspense for an hour. Another stunt saw him buried alive and only just able to claw himself to the surface, emerging in a state of near breakdown. 
That would be horrifying. We talked about being buried alive. That's awful. So go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, was that an act making the drama? I mean, some think the escapes were like faked in that way, like that they weren't fully the drama. Um, but I mean, he claims that they were. Uh, that he, he was really doing it. Mm hmm. Houdini did present himself as the scourge of fake spiritualists. <laughs> so that's was a title he was uh, also proud of. Uh, he was as he was the president of the Society of American Magicians. And he really he actually did really feel like it was important to uphold professional standards and to expose fraudulent artists in that arena. So he viewed that as them being fraudulent and putting kind of a bad name on. So he's kind of doing the early work that Penn and Teller picked up later with their Ooh, bullshit. Yes, absolutely. So he did actually later on um, make some movies. I didn't even know that he kind of went into movies? acting. Yeah, he's, oh. he did some acting and he quit because it didn't wasn't like much money, I guess. Uh, and he he flew planes. He was the first. Um, he wanted to become the first man to fly a powered aircraft in Australia. Um, I don't think that happened. But... Goals. Hashtag goals. So uh, his family is Jewish. Uh, his parents were rabbi. Uh, um, his, his parents were rabbi Mayor Weiss. I'm, I'm just guessing on the last name sounding. Uh, Weiss and Cecilia Steiner. Um, one of seven kids. So a pretty decent bundle. And they came to the United States in 1878. So how did this little Eric become a magician, you may ask? I want to know. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay, I will. So they lived in a boarding house um, in New York. He was joined by the rest of his family once uh his dad found permanent housing as a child. He took several different jobs and then he made his public debut as a nine year old trapeze artist, mm. calling himself Eric the Prince of the Air. Actually, I know he's a Prince of the Air. That's pretty good. He was also a, cro a champion cross country runner when he was young. So he is really a natural at being a performer. Yeah. And being in front of a crowd. Being fit and like using his body to his advantage in those ways. A really great balance. Yes. So he became a professional magician um, and started calling himself Harry Houdini after that French uh, French magician. Uh, he incorrectly believed um, that the I at the end of the name meant like in French so he thought it meant um he he thought it meant that he liked instead of it meant like belonged to so I don't know it, basically the name didn't mean what he thought it meant still sounds great yeah I mean it stuck gotta love that alliteration right so he as a teen then he got coaching by a magician Joseph Wren at the pastime athletic club so because I, I was like well how do you just get Coached in magician magicianship. You would think you would need an apprenticeship. Right. And like you'd have to like seek that out. But then when it's at the athletic club, some of this may have just been like he bumped into the right people at the right places. So you know. Right. I mean, now you could just probably watch YouTube. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of magicians out there. Yeah, but aren't <laughs> they supposed to have their code though, where they don't reveal their secrets until unless somebody you know passes the initiation the and knows the secret code. handshake and the knock? Because I'm, I'm not just, part of it, so I have no idea. If they just put the secrets, you know, on YouTube, just out there, would the real everybody show? Would the codes be secret though, too? Yeah, you would have to pass certain initiation Even. steps. Ooh, our, our topics are linked. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so he started in 1891 with his magic career, and it was kind of a flop. He did a tent act with Strongman, Emil Jaro. He performed in dime museums and sideshows and even doubled as the wild band at the circus. Houdini focused initially on traditional card tricks, so that was kind of his main thing. And he then named himself King of Cards. Mm -hmm. Some, but not all, professional musicians would come to regard Houdini as competent, but not very skilled at sleight of hand, lacking grace and finesse, um, really in that area. So then he soon began to look at escape acts. So I just, again, it is really inspiring <laughs> for folks who like when they fail at something that they're really putting a lot of time and energy into to be able to like shift that focus and move pivot. into something else. Yeah. that I mean, that's a, that's a hard skill. Okay. So then he starts getting into doing these different types of escape acts. Uh, there was one where he baffled the police so effectively that he booked uh, at one of these um, booked at one of these event places for six months. His show was an immediate hit, and his salary rose to three hundred dollars a week. That's equivalent to nine thousand seven hundred seventy-two dollars. And I think escape art is better suited for a big stage right. versus card tricks where you have to kind of be up close it's and it's maybe not as fun to watch and you're probably not making as much money either. somebody doing these grand escape Theatrical. Acts, mm -hmm. it would be more fun mm -hmm. here's a picture you want to see uh that's houdini with his mom and his wife yeah really cool hair he did have cool hair it's kind of like the, it's like the super side wave super side wave um so he, this became a big, he started becoming really well known through these uh, different things he was doing. And one of the things he challenged, he liked to challenge mm. people. So if they questioned him on something or like, you can't do this, he, he liked to lean into that and try he to rose create to something like that. Mm -hmm. Um. So I want to jump to some of the actual notable escapes that he is known for. Uh, all right. So the Daily Mirror Challenge, this is one that the newspaper set up for him that we, we mentioned. So they made special handcuffs for him to, to do. So the goal being that they're not your handcuffs. Like you could lie. They and can't have, be tampered with. Mm -hmm. So a special locksmith took five years to make these handcuffs. Houdini accepted the challenge as the challenge acceptor he is. And uh, he then did a matinee performance at London's Hippodrome Theater. It was reported that 4,000 people and more than 100 journalists showed up for this like super hyped up event. The escape went on for over an hour. 
during which Houdini emerged from his, quote, ghost house, which is a small screen used to conceal the method of his escape several times. At one point, he asked if the cuffs could be removed so he could take off his coat. <laughs> the mirror representative refused, saying Houdini could gain an advantage if he saw how the cuffs were unlocked. Mm. Houdini promptly took out a penknife and holding it in his teeth, he used it to cut his coat from his body. <laughs> The drama. The drama is like, fine. So you think I'm cheating? I'm not. Uh, some 56 minutes later, Houdini's wife appeared on stage and gave him a kiss. Many thought that in her mouth was a key to unlock the handcuffs. However, it has since been suggested that uh, she... Uh, that that's a controversial piece of like some people report that happened. Other people said that, that, that she never was on the stage mm. at all. So also this key would have at the time, it was a six inch key. Mm. So hiding in her mouth and having that's a transfer hard. would have been noticeable by somebody. Um, So unlikely. And then Houdini then went behind a curtain and after an hour and 10 minutes, Houdini emerged free. He was paraded on the shoulders of a cheering crowd. He broke down and cried. At the time, Houdini said it was the most difficult escapes of his career. I think that doing it behind the curtain always makes it a little less spectacular in my mind. Right, right. Because uh, you don't get to see the what he did. Did he break all the bones in his wrist? Like, like what did he do? Was he just pulling a key out of his pocket? You know what I mean? Right. Well, and but that was supposedly the whole thing with the the Daily Mirror doing this and and him accepting the challenge was like, we're not helping you. But that could be a setup also for publicity. It could be. You're right. Um. So because what lock takes five years to build? I mean, that seems extreme. If I had to make it from hand, it would. <laughs> I'd have, have to start from scratch. <laughs> I wonder if they did kiss, if maybe she had it like hidden in her hair and he like embraced and did the, palmed it really quick, mm-hmm. you know. But then some people report that she would never enter the stage. So like, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know. Unless we'll we go back in time. Which we won't. I might. There's, there's him in the. I house. might. Okay, you might. I don't say never oh. on time travel. You're right. Okay. You're right. We we did have the great uh, time travel. Fabio. Fabio. Okay. So. In. After he died, his friend Martin Beck was quoted in a book called Sensational Tales of Mystery Men. He admitted that Houdini was tested that day and did appeal to his wife for help. He also goes on to claim that Bess begged the key from the mirror representative, then slipped it to Houdini in a glass of water. However, um, there is no actual proof of this account. Again, a six-inch key in a glass of water would also have been pretty noticeable, unless it was behind the screen. I don't know. What's happening behind that screen? I know. So, Was anybody back there witnessing, or who's all alone? Uh, it's, there really is no evidence as, I mean, I don't know. I don't so know. were the cuffs unlocked or was he just out of them? They were, he had, you know, walked out with them unlocked. Okay. Yeah. So there was something that happened something with happened. the lock and the key. Right, right. So modern by, um, Biographers have found evidence, notably in the custom design of the handcuffs, that the mirror challenge may have been arranged and that this struggle to escape was 
pure showmanship from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He said, again, no proof. You got to raise the intensity and the urgency so and people are invested. In the time where people start doubting. Mm-hmm. You got to shake the curtain a little so it looks like you're struggling. <laughs> One person shared that they believe the only way the handcuffs could have been opened was by using their key and speculates that it would have been viewed distasteful to both the mirror and Houdini if he had failed. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking the mirror is probably in on it because that's going to sell a lot of papers. Right, right. Versus, oh, we made a lock and he couldn't get out. Yeah, that's going to sell five papers versus Mm -hmm. 300 papers. Right. And then that's going to create more momentum and excitement for future stories that they could, you know, have the exclusive story on. Right. And at this point, he's making a lot of money. He's a big name. So if you're the one hand making the thing and you are the one that publicly disgraces the famous person, that also looks bad on you, too. Yeah. Like, why is such a hitter? Yeah. Like, give him something reasonable, dude. I think even if you had the key, it would be hard to unlock your own handcuffs behind your back. Unless your wife was there behind the curtain. Yeah. Right. And again, we have to think about the time that this was at. And like all of this was a very, I think now people are very skeptical anyways. Like go, if the second someone went behind the curtain, it would be like, whatever, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. But there was still a lot of um, like allure. People were believe, believed things. Mm-hmm. They weren't so, you know, like now everybody's jaded. Mm-hmm. And somebody would sneak a nanny cam back there now just to bust someone. Right. The right. expose. Let the mystery exist. So there's been a full size reconstruction of the same handcuffs as well as a replica style key that was made on display in the Houdini Museum in Pennsylvania. This set of cuffs is believed to be one of only six in the world that have ever been made like that. Okay. So the next one. I mean, let's say you had a key hidden in an orifice. Mm-hmm. You still have your hands cuffed behind your back. You yeah, them in front. Oh, they're in front. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe they're, it was that butt. Behind. No. Well, you could still get it. I think you could access a key up your butt. Right. Again, well, the second you're behind a curtain and behind like a closed hatch thing, like you get a key from anywhere. I wouldn't put it on my butt. Well, I mean, if, like, say, like, say the, that wouldn't be my go-to. He wasn't able to hide one back Right, there. right. Like, like maybe it was searched or whatever. Like, okay, there's no keys back here. We've searched. And it was, like, legitimately searched. He would have to have it hidden on him. And the butthole is the best place to keep things. I mean, you've yes. had your dad on here many times with prison tales. I mean, we've just about started with... When, all you're, when your dad has been on the show talking about prison and buttholes, that's not buttholes than when your dad's been on it's just a bad order of operations i think um well he was a prison warden and talked about all the things that were smuggled in yes in the human butthole so he's had to help get it out it's pretty handy as far as a storage place you've got to admit i mean it's versatile it's got some capacity it's got some capacity it's got some stretch to it right 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 All right. So a key would be no problem. I mean, I, the takeaway. I love how this first one really panned out. So let's get to the milk can escape. 1908. It's, I'm just like, it's totally possible. I mean. Totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. There was a new act that he created called the milk can escape. In this act, Houdini was handcuffed and sealed inside an oversized milk can filled with water and made his escape behind a curtain. 
As part of the effect, Houdini invited members of the audience to hold their breath along with him while he was inside the can. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, that's an interesting twist, right? Yeah. Um, so advertised with big posters that said failure means a drowning death. That's how that's how you get people to show up. I mean, yeah. I mean, no offense, public, but you guys are brutal. Like you need some shock and awe apparently to to show up. So absolutely. Okay. I mean, I mean, people who used to do go to a public hanging and bring a picnic lunch for the kids. Yeah, I mean, we're a really sick and twisted folk. Very sick, very twisted, very folk. <sighs> so it be it was an, a sensation. People love this. So. Houdini modified the escape to include actual milk, to include, sorry, not actual, to include the milk can being locked inside a wooden chest. So now he's like layering it. Um, and it was chained in padlocks or more and more. Then he performed the milk can escape as a regular part of his act for only four years, but remained one of the acts that was most associated with him. And his brother, Theodore Hardeen, actually continued to perform this escape Um in, all the way through the 1940s. Hmm. So the American Museum of Magic has the milk can, an overboard box that was used by Houdini. And that's one of those big ass milk jugs. Right, right. The big, yeah, giant ones. Um, Houdini claimed that the act was protected by copyright and in 1906 brought a case against um, another persistent imitator, John Clumpert. The matter was settled out of court and Clifford agreed to publish an apology. Better to say you're sorry. Yeah. Okay. Chinese water torture. Which the term is problematic these days. But as I believe I've mentioned on this show, when I was in sixth grade, I went to Chinatown to the Chinese torture museum and mm -hmm. Chinese water torture was one of them. Right, right. It is historically... Accurate to the time, 1912, for the times. Yeah, I, I just think that, yeah, I just think it's a problematic term now. It is. I agree. <laughs> it was, I to admit, I was bummed when the museum was no longer in existence. Oh, really? Because of, out of fascination, I really wanted to, <laughs> to go <laughs> to, like, you know, you know, I have your sixth grade memories. I just wanted to, like, compare to see, is this what I remember it? That's how I feel about the, like, medieval fairs that, like, I went to in elementary school where they had, like, the big catapults. Like the and, Renaissance fairs? Yeah, and they had, like, the little, you go through the torture rooms and you're, like, fascinated. But then, mm -hmm. like, as an adult, I'm like, was that as cool as I thought it was? Or was that really lame? I didn't dress up, but was it really lame? I don't know. Well, I remember I there being, cool. like, recorded, like, fake screams, you know, at this and there was one where somebody had like a, a metal cage over their head, but like rats could go in and out right, right, of right. it. But yeah, yeah. But so those are the only two I remember: the rat one and then the water torture one. And mm -hmm. it was just like trip, trip, and it was like so slow. And I remember us thinking, "Well, that's not a problem." But then they explained, "Well, over time, it's going to make a hole in their head." I mean, isn't it more of the, like, psychological damage? That's what I thought it was. I, I don't know much. I don't know anything, honestly. That's was what I thought was, like, it's, like, somehow so repetitive. Or, like, would this just take years? I don't know. To bore a hole in their head? I think it's, like, you know how the Grand Canyon was carved by water? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. So water's powerful. 
See, that's why I was like, is my sixth grade memory even understand? I don't know. Now I really wanted to, but it was closed. So I'm sure somebody complained. Dang. Okay. So, okay. So with, so, so many imitators started picking up his milk can act. Um, He then replaced it with this. um, And this is the title of his performance was the Chinese water torture cell. Everybody's doing it. It's not cool. All you TikTok challenge takers. This is a little different from what you were explaining. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, so that's more like waterboarding. Right. So (laughs) his feet were locked um, in stocks and he's lowered upside down in a tank filled with water. Um, Isn't that basically what it has a glass US military waterboarding? I mean, I don't know. I I think from personal experience. I thought dipping people in the water over and over. Seems like a lot of um this is this is recent though, waterboarding. Yeah. I mean it may still be happening. Who knows? Future topic. Uh through which audiences could okay, so yeah, glass, you you could see the through the front. Um the locked the stocks were locked to the top of the cell and a curtain concealed the escape. So that was kind of the what I was getting from a lot of these is the they show the, him in the struggle, mm-hmm. and then they sh- and then they reveal, and he is out. Because it gets you emotionally bought into yeah, it. You're, you're invested. Like, you're like, what's going to happen? Right. Yes. So in the earliest version of the torture cell, a metal cage was lowered into the cell, and Houdini was enclosed inside that um, to make it even more difficult, um, which kind of prevented him from being able to turn. So he had less movement and the cage bars also offer protection um, if the front of the glass broke though. So like at the front, yeah. So Houdini first performed the escape in England for an audience of one person as part of a one act play he called Houdini Upside Down. This was done so he could get a copyright protection and establish grounds to sue imitators. So like he learned, like he's a, businessman an engineer and an illusionist is what i got from all these things very savvy um in how he did this uh so and which he did he sued any imitator while the escape was advertised as the chinese water torture cell or the water torture cell houdini always referred to it as the upside down or the usd the first public performance of the usd was at the circus bush in berlin 1912 and he continued to perform it until his death in 1926. Okay. Suspended straight jacket escape. And that's the one where I think it, you know, is portrayed in a lot of films, you know. Oh, the water one or the straight jacket? The straight jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it is, was his most popular too, uh, for his publicity stunts to have himself wrapped in the straight jacket, um, suspended in the air by his ankles from a tall building or a crane. He would then make his escape in full view of the assembled crowd, which to me is like snaps for that. That sounds intense. And in, he drew tens of thousands of people watching under traffic. Um, cars would stop, you know, to watch I, this. I would stop my I car. Would, I would stop. I'd block There's a lot of this. Right, right, right. Watch a man wiggle upside down. He could sometimes ensure press coverage by performing the escape from an office building of a local newspaper. Like, that's smart. That's smart. (laughs) Uh, In New York, he performed the suspended straitjacket escape from a crane being used to build the subway. After flinging his body in the air, 
He escaped from the straitjacket, starting from when he was hoisted up in the air by the crane to when the straitjacket was completely off. It took him two minutes and 37 seconds. There's actually film footage in the Library of Congress of Houdini performing of Houdini performing that mm-hmm. escape. Films of his escapes are also shown at the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay, so after being battered against a building in high winds during one escape, like in, when I read that, I was like, yeah, that sounds really bad <laughs> and very possible. He he then performed the escape with a visible safety wire on his ankle so he could be pulled away from a building if necessary. You, know, okay. you learn as you go. Right, after you hit a few buildings. Um, this idea for this escape was given to him by actually a young boy named Randolph Douglas when the two met at a performance. He was like, how would you do this? And he said, okay. Challenge accepted. The overboard box escape. Okay, so this is another very famous one where he tries to escape from a nailed and roped packing crate after it was lowered into water. He first did this in New York's East River, so they actually dropped it in the river on July 7th, 1912. Police forbade him from using one of the piers, so he hired a tugboat and invited press on board. He was locked in handcuffs, leg irons, and then nailed into the crate, which was roped and weighed down with 200 pounds of lead. The crate was then lowered into the water. He escaped in 57 seconds. The crate was pulled to the surface, found to still be intact with the uh, cuffs inside. How did he do it? How did he do it? Mm-hmm. Houdini performed the escape many times and even performed a version on stage at a roof garden where a 5,500 U.S. Uh, gallon tank was specially built for it. Like, all of these are very anxiety-provoking for me. Even if you're like, you're like it's okay, I have an out, you're mm-hmm. still hanging from a building. You're still being nailed into a box. Dropped in a river, like there's still a lot of like ways it could go very wrong. Yeah, I mean, you definitely would want a safe word, I think. Right, but it, like when you're in a box down in the river, how does how do you a do safe whistle? They didn't know there's something. Yeah, because you, you know, I think a lot of the struggle is part of the drama and act, and it's intentional. Mm-hmm. But you would want like your safety people. To know when you're struggling for realsies. Right. And you know that, like, he doesn't have this big giant tank that he's practicing at home. So, like, how does he get the practice to know the conditions in these places? Like, like he said, eventually he hit some buildings and learned. Like, all it would take is hit the building once with the with your head. <laughs> learned wrong. I bet his team's like, well, if he doesn't come up after this much time, we'll go get him. He probably prepped his team. Well, I'm sure there is, but, like, that happens fast. Like, two yeah. minutes, if I'm not a, come get me. No, I just, I just or maybe he gave him strict instructions, don't ever rescue me. I, I want to die in the act. I feel know? like don't know. I have to have died. I think that's where I'm getting with this, is I don't understand. Well, you're not an illusionist, <laughs> the, are you, man? I am not an illusionist. <laughs> uh, the next one is the buried alive stunt. Okay. There are three variations of this. The first was in California, 1915, and he did almost die in this one. He was buried without a casket in a pit of earth six feet deep. He became exhausted and panicked while trying to dig his way out and started calling for help. When his hand finally broke the surface, he actually went unconscious and had to be pulled out by his assistants. 
He wrote in his diary that the escape was very dangerous and the weight of the earth is killing. Heavy. Heavy. It's deep. Like the earth. Heavy and it's deep. The weight of the earth. It's killing. <laughs> the second variation <laughs> was an endurance test designed to expose mystical Egyptian performer Raymond Bay who had claimed to use a supernatural power to remain in a sealed casket for an hour. Houdini bettered him on 1926 by remaining in a sealed casket, submerged in the swimming pool of New York Sh Hotel Shelton for an hour, for one and a half hours. Houdini claimed he did not use any trickery or supernatural powers, just controlled his breathing. He repeated the feat at the YMCA in 1926, and this time remained sealed for one hour and 11 minutes. So, you're not magical. So I like that he gives away, like, he's like, I'll tell you how I did it as long as it proves him wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that. It's it's salty. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the final one was where it was a stage escape. In the evening show, he would escape after being strapped in a straitjacket, sealed in a casket, buried in a large tank filled with sand. <laughs> um, posters advertise the escape um, as... Uh, the Egyptian fuckers outdone. So Excuse me? that's it's fuck F A K I R S. Basically, the guy who flubbed it before they said his thing outdone. So there you go. The bronze casting Houdini created for the buried alive was used to transport his body eventually when he did pass away from Detroit to New York following his death. Thought that was cool. <coughs> Choking my wine. It's so chunky. It's not. It's not at all. I hope it's not chunky because what would those chunks be? Maybe like that sediment that you get at the bottom of wine. Yeah. Certain wines. I don't. Why is that? I don't enjoy that. I don't know why that's there. I feel like you could filter that is out. Is it like the bottom of a barrel? I mean, I do have a, one of those little filter things. There's a screen on it. Is that like that sailing saying it's the real bottom of the barrel? Which is not a good thing. No. Bottom of the barrel is not. It's kind of like the last of the you get the last. I'm 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 very curious. Were you looking up on your phone, right? Like what where did that come from? I think it sounds like it has some good historical. That term, term has a hint of desperation to it that mm -hmm. is not um like a, a positive. Right. I'm gonna look it up in a minute, or unless you do. Okay. So I'm going to kind of skip his film career because honestly, it wasn't great. <laughs> and he flew planes and that was pretty cool. Um, he did What is the red chunky stuff and why? The, where did the term um, bottom of the barrel come from? Okay. So in... <laughs> 1910... Um, Houdini completed one of the first powered airplane flights ever made to Australia. Oh, so he did actually do it. I missed that. So he um, did do that, and he got uh, falsely reported as a... Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. what we thought. Is it? So it comes from the, you know, the practice in the early U.S. of storing food in barrels. When food supplies ran low, only what was on the very bottom of the barrel remained and had to be removed mm -hmm. by scraping. Oh, Gross. So basically, when you do get a bottle that has sediment in it, like you are getting the legit bottom of the barrel. 
Well, I didn't look up why in relationship. Why didn't you look up that too? This is important. I feel like everyone probably cares. Or two people care and they're both in this room. That's all we need. Two people in a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Two people, one podcast. Two people, one podcast. Some people care, others don't. I think I need to just look up what I was going to originally look up. What well, is did the you get off chunky track? stuff? In wine? In wine. Okay. I'm going to chunk. I probably use a bad word of chunky. Because I'm pretty sure the word was sediment. Like the bottom of a river. Well, I think we're going with chunky. Okay. It's either tartrate crystals, mm. a.k.a. wine diamonds. Mm. Okay, people. I think you're trying to put too positive a spin on it now. Or spent yeast called lees, which are both natural byproducts. Neither is harmful to your body. Oh, ew. But if you don't see it before it's on your tongue, you might gag on this gunky little surprise. Who says that? Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Excuse me? Can you repeat that? If you don't see the sediment before it's on your tongue, you might gag on this gunky little surprise. Okay, wine enthusiast magazine, you are doing nothing to promote people drinking wine. No, gunky little surprise. I mean, remember everybody that? out there who like is not a wine person and is a beer drinker is like, and it, that's why I don't drink fucking wine because it's gross. And gunky little surprise makes me think of all kinds of nastiness. I just want well, you might choke on this gunky little surprise. That could be a podcast name. <laughs> I can't think of anything better. Um, okay. He did a lot of calling out other falsities. We talked about that a bit. Um, so I just want to say his death really quick. Uh so he do you know anything about that, by the way? Wasn't he punched? Yeah, it been like really interesting. I didn't understand fully this why, but okay. So he was in a theater in Montreal, and supposedly it was caused by Jacqueline Gordon Whitehead, who repeatedly struck him in the abdomen. The account of the witnesses, a student named Jackie Price and Sam Silovitz. Both said that Whitehead would ask Houdini, quote, if he believed in the miracles of the Bible and whether it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. Houdini offered a casual reply that his stomach could endure a lot. Because, again, he's like a performer, like he's he's pretty fit. And but at this time, he was healing with a, um, I believe, a, um, a sprained ankle or no, sorry, not sprained, a broken ankle from a previous show. So he's sitting there on this couch with a broken ankle. And so he's like, I can handle a lot. She then started delivering hammer like blows below the belt in his tummy, not below the belt. Oh, down there. That sounds weird. Below the belt. That was, that was the quote that was said below the belt. By Does the, that mean? I don't know. Maybe that's, groinal that's what i thought it meant i didn't know how high they held their belts at the at that day oh Um, good point houdini was quite high actually were they i don't think they had maybe they had a little more low rise yeah jeans were not in style 
So he was reclining on the couch, um, trying to recover. Um, Price said that Houdini winced at each blow and stopped her suddenly in the midst of one of the punches, gesturing that he'd had enough and adding that he had no opportunity to prepare himself against the blows and he didn't expect her to hit him so suddenly. Um, Why does he punch people? Like, who does that? I would like, I read that. I'm like, who is this? Like, go away. Get out. Get out of here. So. He performed that night with a broken ankle. It's like an it's like a real life troll. Right. Like who are who? Like go get out. Focus on your own life. I know, I hated it too. He performed the night with a broken ankle in great pain. Um, he was unable to sleep and remained in constant pain for two days, didn't seek medical help. He finally saw his doctor after having a fever of 102 degrees and acute appendicitis. Um, was advised of immediate surgery. He ignored this advice and went on with another show. When Houdini arrived at the theater in Detroit, Michigan, that was his last performance. Um, the show must go on. Despite the diagnosis, he took the stage. He passed out during the show, was revived and continued, and then afterwards was hospitalized. He then ended up passing away. Um, it's unclear if that is what fully caused it. However, theorists it really suggest that the blunt trauma um, could have... So no charges to that person? No. Um, I hope they felt guilty, though. Yeah, they... So... When, I would feel guilty. I would feel really bad. i feel real bad. Yeah. Like, here's this guy that does all these death-defying things all the time, and I punched him in the tummy. And that was and, it. And kill him. And he still kept going. Like, that literally is speaking the whole... Th- point is like I can handle that and he did for like days so, yeah so the insurance most people company, probably expect that he died doing it, a trick right Agreed. yeah yeah so the insurance company concluded the death was due to the dressing room incident and paid double indemnity because of that so you can't actually go to his gravesite his mourners there's 2,000 people there Where is it at um, it is in Green Glendale, Queens, um, with the crest of Society of American Magicians at the gravesite. Oh, what does that look like? I don't have a picture of it. I'm always interested in a crest. Mm-hmm. So apparently, like, there's this big issue. I won't dive into it, but um, basically, the that Society of Houdini Museums grant like paying for the gravesite to be taken care of. But like the money funding is basically all but dwindled. So people are like, you need to be the ones that maintain it because your seal's on it. And they're like, yeah, but do we just do that forever? And I I say yes. Because Houdini is like a name that still exists. People still know that that the means most famous of right. all time. Maybe it, the most famous. It means magician. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you don't want, like, you don't get to have that, his name and not pay for his grave to be maintained. When we went to that one grave um, yard nearby, I forget where it was at. Um, right over here. Right, right. Greenwood Cemetery. And how horrified we are by the, like, lack of maintenance to, yeah. like, it's horrifying. And if mm-hmm. and if somebody's going to profit off your name on top of everything else, I'm linked to other topics as well, um, then, yeah, you should be paying. You should. I mean, In my even opinion. if people aren't familiar with his mm-hmm. performance acts, you know the name. Right. 
Like, you know, that was a, right. a great magician from a long time right. ago. Right. And I, I didn't know any details. I had never seen any of the, um, like, the videos or new details about the acts before. And I still knew yeah. the name. Legend. Legend. Okay. I don't have my glasses, so I want to make my phone real big. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot. If you that. wanted to email it to me, you could pull it up on here if you wanted. Bigger. I can make it pretty big on my phone. I wonder what the max is. 220 mm. is my max. What? Is that like percent. three words per? It's really big. I don't need it quite that big. So um, when you were little. That happened once. Did you like sleepovers or slumber parties? I I had a lot of anxiety as a small child, so it was a big workup for me to go places, and I recall very few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever host slumber parties? I think it, I mean, it had to be when I got older, like much older than probably childhood <laughs> that you're talking about. I went to a lot, but I never hosted. My house was never the host. I don't think I was a host unless maybe like a birthday and a friend stayed the night, that sort of thing. Like one friend? Yeah, not like I'm having a slumber party sort of. I wasn't cool. I didn't have friends. I had a couple friends, I think. So sleepovers or slumber parties is my topic. That's a great topic. I'm really excited about this. (laughs) So here's where our topics are linked. So these are seen by... There's a ton of research on these. I was blown away by the amount of legitimate journal articles about slumber parties. So there is a ton of research on this. There was not as much about Houdini as I thought there would be. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, that's, I'm fascinated because I would never expect that topic to be researched. There's so much. So it's generally understood that it is this really important passage from girlhood to womanhood and it's really an, a rite of initiation and we talked about like that initiation oh shit to being a, <laughs> to being a, a like, legitimate magician and getting the secret knock wow so are you gonna call that from now on the secret knock what like everything when Stella does like it's like when you go to a slumber party have fun at your secret knock no, Secret Knock was your topic. I know. Well, I'm just, I'm making it carry. <laughs> Secret Knock. So what is a sleepover or slumber party? Really, there's not much slumbering happening. Oh, no. I The one I've been to. <laughs> so this is like a planned event. So this is different right. than just a bunch of people sleeping together because they have Certain to states. or whatever. Right. This is like a planned event. Like everybody's going to go sleepover at somebody's house poor parents so (laughs) these rose in popularity right at the very end of the victorian era era and it started out as a trend and then it became a tradition so really the peak slumber party period is seen as between the mid 1960s to the early 1980s Mm. In the 1990s, there was a trend of mixed sex sleepovers because parents saw like that was a better alternative than a group of kids going out and doing whatever. So at least they felt like if it's in the house, it's safer. If you do drugs here, then you want to do drugs out there. Well, it's just, it was seen as more more safe to have it under 
some parents rough happen. Interesting. Okay. I was never savvy on the co-ed mode. That would never fly with my dad. No way. Well, I, you know, I was out of the age group by then, thank goodness. So I didn't have to navigate that. Um, but I was definitely doing sleeper sleepovers during the peak sleepover period. I, I didn't even know there was a peak. I barely I got I barely got invited to a party. Mid sixties to early eighties is considered the peak era of slumber being, parties. I can see that being pretty good. So you know you'd you'd want to bring your cutest pajamas. Like that was a big must. Okay. I remember specifically like planning what my pajama thing would be. It'd be like my cutest nightgown or whatever. Um, and your sleeping bag and pillow. But then also you'd bring, if you could, some kind of item that mm-hmm. would be like some mm-hmm. contraband or something to share, something to offer. Like maybe it's some makeup nobody's supposed to have. Now I'm starting to understand why I never got invited anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, not everybody I, has to have that. I was dressed by my really... father, so good luck on cute pajamas. And then... I had no idea about these rules. And I brought nothing other than probably my own pillow. Yeah, I mean, if you were the one that snuck in a fucking cigarette or something like that. I mean, that was the kind of thing like, ooh, should we try it? You know, this is how popularity starts. I'm understanding now. This is answering so many life questions. Well, what did I say? The rite of passage from right. girlhood to womanhood. The door knock. I mean, I started going to these when I was really little. So I had a big crossover from actually being a a kid to being a teen in these. And they definitely changed (laughs) over the years. So these sleepovers are really important also because they give one a window into how other families live, which gives us a sense of our, of understanding of our place in the world. No, that's so true. And how we fit in. Right. It's like, oh, this is how other people yeah like oh yeah, they eat that for dinner oh they sit oh. down for dinner oh they watch dinner from the tv or oh maybe it didn't have the, more than one bathroom the slumber party person that i went to their house that they weren't allowed to watch pg-13 movies it was only pg and i was like oh i watched like Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> well yeah see it helps you reflect on your own place in the world right. and it helps you understand yourself and it helps with that critical self-identity which mm-hmm. is you know, in that stage of life right. is so important. I mean, I would witness different ways of discipline that kids experienced, or you know, Ooh, there's yeah. so many it different things so you might be exposed to. When you watch them get in trouble, you're like, Ooh. yeah, or, or maybe, and it's maybe like really different, or maybe you even like it better. Maybe you're like, I can I just live here forever because this is way better than my house. Mm-hmm. You have like name brand snacks. Wow. Yeah. Because you know, I was pretty poor, so I that Wait, we never hosted spaghetti, top ramen, mac and cheese were my staples. <laughs> All the nutritional values were there, I'm pretty sure. There's a broth Probably. some sort of chicken, maybe. Chicken powder? I don't know. We had a lot of things in um plastic bags from the bulk health food store. Oh. So Sleepovers also let kids experience autonomy away from parents' watchful eyes because the really the number one role of the host house is the parents are supposed to be out of sight out. Right. Out yeah, of mind. Right. You're supposed to just you thing. let them, you know, here's right. your space and you back away. I mean, there were some exceptions, like sometimes the parents would 
be creating a snack and be like, kids, make brownies. Here's a snack. The movie's on. Oh, I don't know. Or or they'd be doing some weird like trying to be out the window, scaring the kids. Like oh. those were kind of the only My dad exceptions. Jenny once. That was a Halloween party, and I was in high school. It counts. And sleepovers go into high school. So those are really like the exceptions to the parent rule. You're either providing food or you're providing a scary prank. Mm-hmm. Other than that, disappear. Got it. Do not reappear until it's time for you to make us pancakes in the morning. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, this feels sketchy, honestly. Thank <laughs> you, going. So now parents are largely against sleepovers mm-hmm. for reasons such as safety and lack of control. Because you don't know what your parents, your kids are being exposed to. Are they being allowed to watch movies that you wouldn't approve of? Or what's going on? Or safety. So kids might be exposed. It's the Halloween candy topic, right? Like, Yeah. So they might be exposed to excess screen time. Well, yeah, the freaking screen's going to be on all night. Um, No sleep. That's the point. Yeah, I like mean, it could be domestic violence you're exposed to, right, all kinds right, of things, right. different language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and parents, I think, should be concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that I, I was reflecting on all my sleepover experiences, I mean, I lost my virginity to sleepover. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did not. But I do remember probably the most risque thing that ever happened, which is not that risque. But at the time for being young, it was um like us like how big are your boobs compared to my boobs that kind of scenario oh that was definitely yeah it's like when you're talking about like, figuring out where you fit into the world as a young lady apparently it's also like how do my boobs compare to your boobs <laughs> well everybody was really good at um you could change your yeah clothes without taking right 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 like you're revealing talking. anything like you could take your bra off right. without taking your shirt off. Mm-hmm. Like that's that. a skill. I'm okay, still do that. That is a straight up skill. Can you pull it out your sleeve? <laughs> yeah. You like do one arm yeah, and the other arm. It's almost like an illusion. Oh my gosh. We're illusionists. We're basically Houdini. Basically. And bury me in a box and call me Houdini. But then there's always the one at the slumber party that's like, oh yeah, just showing it all off all proud. All right, yeah. And, and making everybody else feel uncomfortable. We know, Lisa, this isn't your first <laughs> rodeo. All right. So I am not going to talk about this this time. I didn't. Lisa's a fake person. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I do want to cover this, though, in a future one. When I, you know, this when I was looking up this topic, I came across earlier this month, there was these horrible sleepover murders where six teenagers were killed at a sleepover earlier this month. Hmm. So there are real dangers, but um, I'm not talking about that tonight because I will need to do further research. So even though parents, like the tides have shifted away from it, they do still happen. I watched way too many videos today by tween (laughs) tweeners. Mm-hmm. on YouTube mm-hmm. that were like just showing you how to throw the ultimate sleepover, oh you know, 50 sleepover oh games that'll, you know, make your sleepover the best. So old now. 
So it's pretty Crazy. innocent. I mean, I was kind of glad like this is still a thing. Yeah. And just to see the innocence of it. So here's some must-haves. Great. Now, I if you it. want your sleepover to be Can a success. Can we have a sleepover? I don't really like I like sleeping alone. I mean, I'm a light sleeper and I'm cranky if I don't get my sleep. So you really, can do you really mellowed out. <laughs> you can do well, yeah, I like my sleep. I mean, I, I get woken up between six and six thirty every morning. So I need my sleep and I have to be ready for like the Stella show. A child. Yeah. Yes. I have to be cheerful and energetic. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> so you can do DIY snacks, you know, you can make rice crispy cheats, you can make like special mocktails oh it was in the video i saw they're actually pretty um so in these ones you actually prepare the sleeping area so people aren't bringing in their own Mm -hmm. sleeping bag and pillow i would like to have my own yeah this was like oh do your your cute sheets and pillowcases and like um, you know, you can spray lavender or, you know, put fairy lights yeah. around. I feel like um, I really missed out. Of course, you have to do face masks. You that. could do a fashion show. <laughs> you could do karaoke or there's like these apps where you can like film like a, a music video, like with your friends dancing and singing. Like these like structured activities that like kids can do. Cause I mean, when you just, when there's no structure, I mean, there's Truth or Dare. I played a lot of Truth or Dare. Oh, I'll get to Truth or Dare. Did you love it? I mean, I hated that shit. Well, which <laughs> did you choose more often, Truth or Dare? I hated, so, as an introvert, especially when I was younger, having to talk honestly and openly with a bunch of girls that like weren't really that close to me was horrifying. Mm-hmm. Having them tell me to do something embarrassing was horrifying so i picked truth and i would probably lie yeah i was not a good game player so uh pillow flights that's a classic you can take photos of course and then use different apps to make have you ever been in a real pillow thing yeah It's not that fun. I haven't. I don't, I don't know. Think it's that fun. I, this is. I'm, I think it's overrated. It's like watching something. I don't know. I always associated it with like kind of a porny idea. I think yeah. My idea goes to on the bed. like Greece. Our shorts are so so short, and we're just. I mean, it's kind of for boys. Just that's what I was thought. It's yeah, it's kind of porny. Yeah, like it's not really like when do girls do that? I mean, again, or for people that are into women. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of. I, I mean, I never thought a pillow fight was that fun. No, there's, I think there's way more aggressive. ways to have fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, I went to the emergency room after one party. I mean, these things get and like, who gets rough. to decide what pillows are they? Feather pillows, or does someone picking up the the couch mattress like that could just lay you out? Or putting like a bunch of marbles in the pillow. That is murder. That's a weapon. So you can do crafts also, like okay. friendship bracelets or tie-dyeing. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of games that you can do, like not board games, but like games on your phone, like Heads Up. I miss that so much. Heads Up 7-Up in class was my no, favorite Oh my god. Thing. 
I know, but that is not at all what I'm talking mm, about. That's what you said, and you mentioned nostalgic memory. But this is different. This is not Heads Up 7F, which was the stupid game you had to play if it was raining at recess. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is where it's a cell phone game. Like, you put your phone up to your forehead, and it says a thing, and everybody knows what it says, and you have to Oh, I, yeah, okay. So all that's so innocent, though. I was kind of, like, refreshed. I mean, these yeah. YouTubers are all like, 11. Hmm. Um, but you know, innocence still exists. Let's let's turn more to the dark side, shall we? Let's look at the ones who didn't audit their YouTube channel. Scary games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Folklorists have documented that creepy games have been played at girls' sleepovers for at least the past 50 years. And the interesting things that the researchers find. At this is the same games are still being played. So it's Bloody Mary. I did that. Bloody Mary. During my, yeah. It's definitely this tradition mm-hmm. that just gets passed down. So, so it it falls into the realm of folklore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about how that connects. Because the younger kids are going to be either witnessing the older kids doing it and then want to do it when they come, you know, mm-hmm. come of age or you know, something like kind of that. Too, like ooh. Like, yeah. like you see them doing it it's instantly like cool in your mind so you want to play so confronting fear especially fear of the supernatural is an adolescent rite of passage psychologists re- refer to the ages between 9 and 12 as the robinson ages it's a stage when children crave and fear danger. And I can totally relate. I remember loving being scared. I loved it. It was like you're scared, but you you want it. Like you're enjoying it. Like it's fun. And that was probably the, the last years that I really enjoyed, like going to a um, haunted house mm-hmm. and being like cha- where you're screaming and terrified and after like, <laughs> But now, like, if I did it, I'm just like, that was not worth it. My, I, I have a new gray hair. You're out of the Robinson age. I'm so out of it. So it's, it's interesting that that age group, though, coincides exactly with sleepover age. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. So this testing period ripens our imagination with creative storytelling and risky dares. And this also adds to a child's sense of identity and you're able to face things as a group Mm. and so there's power in that so there's things that you wouldn't do alone that you'll do as a group your topic about the the young girls who got together and beat someone up swarm the swarm yeah you're gonna go along with the crowd yeah i believe that wholeheartedly so all those like lighthearted things, innocent games that I mentioned, we didn't do those when I was little. So a, a classic that we did a lot was light as a feather, thick as a board, or one. stiff as a board. What is that? Board. What is that? So that's where somebody lays down and they have to make their body stiff as a board. And then you go on both sides of them and you just put your two fingers under and then everybody chants together. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. And then you can levitate the person. It's crazy. Bullshit. Really? Yes, really, really. It's amazing. What do you really? Really? I need science. I need facts. How does this work? You got to try it out. 
Ain't nobody lifting me with two fingers. Well, it's like how a many? whole row on one side, a whole row on the other. It's like, like how maybe the built four on one room. side. So that was popular. We did that one all the time. Did you actually see someone lift? Yes. It worked every time. Every time. Lives a feather stiff as a bird. Lives a feather stiff as a bird. I mean, it might just be the power of suggestion, you know, how people can lift a car if they need to in the moment. That's, wow. That's intense. Self-fulfilling prophecy and all that. So there were some mean tricks that I fell victim to um, a lot because I was like the younger one when I first started going mm -hmm. and like the older kids in the neighborhood, you know, they're fucking bullies mm -hmm. and they'd victimize the younger kids. So that's why when I became a little older, I became a bully because I could see the power in it. And when you've been in the other side, you're like, I'm not going back there. And the only way is to take the power and control. My bully phase was very short, people. So leave me alone. I mean, I was bullied. And didn't it was survival. Bullied, but I probably still get bullied. But it felt good. I'll tell you that. Yes, I feel guilty now, but not that much. Um. So you didn't want to be the first person to fall asleep because I'm so glad I didn't hang out with you. Like what happened? No, I was a younger one that this happened to. So you, the My friends were very nice. People would uh, like Sharpie right. mean things on on faces. So that happened to me. And then you don't know, right? Everybody's like, <laughs> and when you wake up in the morning. And you're like, what the fuck? And then finally somebody's like, look in the mirror. And then you're like in there for half an hour, like scrubbing your skin off, trying to get it off because you're just horrified. So that was the main thing. Yeah. Um, and then putting a sleeping person's hand in warm water so they pee. Oh, I remember that being so like, mean. that was a threat that was used. I remember it being like, no, that was a real thing. No, no, I'm saying like at the one I went to, it was like used towards, I I, I was the one who said it, but I remember it being used. So weird, these memories I've never thought of since. <laughs> but it was like a threat used, like I'll put your hand in warm water. I think there were siblings while you're sleeping, make you pee yourself. And it was scary. And then I, and it left me with thoughts of like, Am I going to pee myself if someone put just puts my hand in warm water? Is that how that works? It does work. Every time? Well, I don't... I, how much... I don't, I don't have a sample big enough. I... <laughs> my N is too small, but it does work. Nobody's ever done that to me, so I'm not sure from my own lived experience, but... Yeah, it, it works. It does stress me out, the, poten the potential... It works because when you're having trouble peeing and you're at the hospital, they add warm water to the equation make you pee so there's that. like medical science to it wow kids are horrifying well this is part of that rite of passage they tapped into medical science yeah. scary so we've talked about bloody mary seances ouija board and past topics mm -hmm. but those are all right up in there um and then remember the game mash no what? I swear, I'm so sorry. You probably need Sarah here to have any cool context. I'm. You I'm... never played Mash. No. Where you have the letters and then you put the names of all the people that you want to marry and all the places you want to live and like what job you want and what pet you want and then it's like a fortune telling game. Nope. 
You never played that? No. We'll have to play it. I I let's play it sometime. Okay. I severely lacked a social engagement period in my life. I think this was it. Yeah. So MASH, I didn't really love that one, but it was popular. But what I did get into, because I was a little bit of an evil motherfucker, is slam books. That's where you would write shit about people. Oh, I've heard about these in movies. (laughs) It, It was real. And, you know, you would... People would write mean sh- This was like early before internet. But, right. you know, like now people just mm-hmm. post mean shit. Right. It's you're writing it in your own hand, but you're not putting your name to it. So there's a lot of like, sometimes the slam books would get leaked and then mm-hmm. people are trying to like analyze handwriting. I, I mean, I, those things stick with you. I, I've never had like the written version, but I still, I'm scarred by like two when I was, elementary school standing out so they were I think it was heads up seven up they were playing inside and I was outside in the hall for like waiting for the next round and the boy next to me who I thought was I guess cute at the time um and I'm just sitting there quiet and nervous and all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes your ears are big and then oh my god I've never from then on I had a complex about my ears being big and then later on another guy said that like oh your arms are hairy and they're really not they don't have hairy arms but I went home and I shaved my arms and that lasted because nobody long wants to stand out for something that is, they perceive as bad. You want to fit in, right? Like that is the ultimate. And that, which and, there's a survival aspect and to that. Definitely in that time frame. Um, yeah, it's horrifying. If it was written down, I'd be like, "That we gotta move." <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, in a slam book, like everybody would have like a page that was some person's name, and it's usually people that. <laughs> obviously aren't there at the party and, I say, yeah, <laughs> and then you just pass it around and you write like your mean thing about that person i mean to be fair i it's just so might rude. i just might not have been there and saw the book then <laughs> that my name might Maybe. have been in. yeah um <laughs> i had i thought i was a detective and a spy when i was a little kid like i legit thought mm-hmm. i was that was like my whole goal in life was to be a detective slash spy so I had these like notebooks I kept on people, <laughs> but it was more like studies, like research. Also terrifying. Just knowing you know. And then, <laughs> but here's where, you know, I got my comeuppance is I had, I was obsessed with Duran Duran. This will connect back to my notebooks on people. And I had this an amazing collection that I had put together in my room of like, posters on the wall, like binders with clippings from magazines and all this stuff. And there was somebody in the neighborhood that was my age. This is kind of neighborhood I lived in. Fucking broke into my house, stole a large amount of my Duran Duran stuff, but along with it, some of my notebooks that said mean stuff about people and then distributed those at the school. This is like age 12. And, um, yeah, I mean, the police were involved and they did recover wow. my, my entire collection. That's impressive, actually. Which is good. Mm-hmm. You know who you are. I mean, we'd probably be friends now. I'm willing to work through it if you're listening and want to get a hold of me. We, we'd probably have more in common than we don't. I'll slash the entire story if you'd like. You can be friends. I'm about building bridges these days. So, yeah, so MASH and slam books. Um, Truth or Dare. Mm. Yep. I mean, 
There were all these really stupid dares. So it's not, sometimes it'd be better just to do the dare sometimes. I think ours were equally risky. Hmm. It was like sneak into, you know, downstairs and open the parents' bedroom door or whatever. Yeah. Or go talk to so and so, you know, because there's always like was- the the cute older brother that's somewhere in the house and wants nothing to do with the party. Yeah, my friends had all sisters, so that was not a not oh. a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really care about that one. I was sure very that. daring and could lie really well. So it <laughs> wasn't a threat. That game was no threat to you. It was no threat. Um, but along with those traditional spooky games. I watched my first porn at a summer party. Really? Yeah. I just uh, confessed the other day that I, I didn't like watch porn all the way until like like late senior year of high school. Doesn't mean like I had like inadvertently seen things, but as far as like actually watching a porn. And that's shocking. Like kids nowadays, it's everywhere. Like you could see it on a banner on a website. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we would sometimes sneak out um, to meet up with people to make out with. There was always like the early, it was like a good place to like experiment very early on, but kind of like in a safe space also with peer pressure. So it's like <laughs> the perfect storm for a bad thing to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe someone doesn't want to try the cigarette, but they're going to. <laughs> right. But at least right. I can say I tried smoking parties. Well, I think it's a lot. Also, it's like I tried that and I know it's not for me. So at least it's better than like never knowing and wondering or oh, maybe exactly. breaking bad later, which is really bad. Yeah. Um, you could experiment with hair and makeup. I mean, that's when I've. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say it was helpful for me to... We pierced each other's ears all the fucking time. There's lots of blood. I I didn't mind when I spoke by myself. That was a bad idea. But, uh, like, I do... I always appreciated getting to go to friends' houses because... So, um, love being raised by my dad, but being raised by my dad is being raised by a guy through my childhood. So, having that female perspective on hair makeup clothes well i got none of that i mean i was raised by a teenage hippie mom who you know was in had no knowledge so right this is that's i learned from peers i didn't learn from Mm -hmm. a parent see and i i i didn't really honestly it was pretty scarce for a while until i think i was probably older than this age group just because of I mean, I remember doing my first winged eyeliner. And I was so happy with how it looked. And that was like, I did that for a while. It was like my look. My sophomore year in high school, honestly, for me, because freshman year is still when I was, I moved to to Spokane. And I had like my very kind of lovely, nerdy group of friends before moving here. And then Spokane was probably the worst influence on me in any way compared to anything prior. And not even in that big of a way, comparatively. Yeah, my first time getting just shit-faced drunk. Was that a slumber party? Just shit-faced. I didn't know how to pay. I didn't understand, like, what's a vodka? It looks like water. It's not. 
No, <laughs> no. And honestly, maybe I, I re I not relived. I got to experience slumber parties through playing roller derby and having after parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, cause I enjoyed kind of that. Same vibe. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, autonomy. Exactly, I, you have a group of safety, like people safe place. I yeah. think expect like, Oh, you probably went off and did all these horrible. No, it's like, you're actually like with a group of people and like, you're having safe fun with yeah. them and it's structured in some ways. And and I also had one too many jello shots in one of those evenings. And, and there's somebody on hand to put a maxi pad on your nose when you're bleeding. Or you clean up my throw up off of the toilet so other people can use it. Uh, I've had way too many interactions with your bodily fluids, I have to say. Oh, yeah. No, I get it. I am surprised. From both ends. With, yeah, I'm surprised you're friends with me still, but I appreciate it because that's... Uh, and no, I, but nobody else has other than my father. <laughs> I I have an iron constitution. I hardly ever I cripple you. Puke or um poop, diarrhea. So that's my topic. That's a good topic. I like it. Sleepovers, aka slumber parties. No, I I mean it makes sense. Slumber parties make sense. I mean, it all makes sense. It's it, and I'm glad they're still happening. I'm also understand the anxiety for parents, especially as you know the veil kind of gets uncovered more. <laughs> you see what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I let my kids do it, but I was always like, I knew the parents. Yeah, to me, it'd be like, I want to know where you are. Who yeah, the parents yeah. are. I want the phone number. I need to know who's attending because if so and so is attending, you are not going. But, of course, kids can lie, kids can sneak out. So, I mean, you have less control than you think. Right. And it's almost, from what I've seen, oh, let me just, like, counselor mode when I've worked with families. It's almost like the more control that was trying to be put on, the more that was being broken over and over again. I always counsel parents on the love bee. So when your kids are little, yes, have more control, obviously, because they'll toddle into the street. And don't know any different but as they get older you have to loosen up and mm-hmm. give autonomy more freedom it the is, love be right. like but i write it like i write the word love and then we focus on mm-hmm. this being the v as how it opens as kids get older right i when i talk with parents too i often talk about that because i'm not a parent so i come from i come from more of that perspective of the team that i'm working with which is you know they're balancing both the fact that they have to follow your rules still and you want them to do all this stuff on their own that's hard I mean that's a dual role right there mm-hmm. and how are, they're still navigating what that means aren't we all so all right if you didn't listen to our last episode we talked about the murder of John Chow who was a 26 year old U.S. missionary who was killed by the North Sentinelese tribe who are supposed to be uncontacted and unprotected want to talk about patreon uh if you'd like to join our patreon it is only a dollar and it helps provide us with new cables when we break them wine um probably to help fund whatever is happening with naomi's computer flashing and glitching all the time we'll have to figure that out and you get exclusives like the video of this podcast right and we do patron only content which is pretty cool and now that the weather's better, we're going to be doing some outdoor stuff again and getting Field to trips. explore, which is fun. Yes. So until next time, I would say 
let your kids do slumber parties, but you know, do do some checks once, mm-hmm. like consider safety, but then you know, let let them make right. some little mistakes. It's better let them make little mistakes while they're little. It'll prevent big mistakes when they're bigger. Right. And until next time, practice your escape routes and always have a plan B. Which might be your wife in the back. That's right. Or the parents around the back. Bye.